Hi, and welcome back to season seven of This Week in Voice. So we've been gone a while. Uh, that's by design. I was tired, uh, but I'm back. And uh, for the first time, we have rolled out the schedule for the full season in advance. So that's posted at thisweekinvoice.com. Uh, we will include in the YouTube notes of this episode, as well as the podcast notes of this episode, all the speakers coming up so everyone can see those. Um, we're excited about that level of organization, which we have aspired to for six seasons preceding this and only now have achieved. It's a beautiful thing and uh, just great guests throughout the season. We're excited to deliver it. My name is Bradley Medrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice and general partner of Project Voice Capital Partners as well. There was supposed to be a first episode of this season. That didn't happen. We've got two big updates coming down the pike, neither of which is ready to talk about. So when we're ready to talk about it, you'll see an episode show up in the feed. It'll kind of be a bonus bonus feed, you know, bonus episode at that point. Uh, but uh, we're not ready to share all that stuff uh, yet. So we've got a great panel uh, for today's show. We're going to get right on into it. Uh, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Um, introduce yourself. Uh, tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do. Thanks, Bradley. Um, hi, I'm Alex Mishashik, and I'm in design leadership at Truist. Um, we were BB&T and SunTrust formerly, and we merged together, and now we're Truist. Um, my team works on, you know, virtual assistants, bots, different AI platforms, and integrating these across the enterprise. So lots of UI designers, UX designers, UX writers, all of us partnering together and then partnering with the various lines of businesses um, to integrate these. And in the context of voice, I've worked on voice assistants, virtual assistants, um, Google Assistant, Erica, all of those over about 13 or 14 years. So really passionate about this topic and excited to talk about the articles. Alex, it's great to have you on. And it's Alex Mishashik. I feel like I need to pronounce that out <laughs> loud just to prove that I can. Uh, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank Our next guest is Celine Osika. Celine, say hello. Hi, everyone. Yeah, so I'm Selena Sika. I head up, um, similar to Alex, I head up a, um, a conversation design team at 24-7 AI. We also do yeah, digital and voice platforms for enterprise clients as well um, for a lot of you know banks, retail, um, airlines, travel, those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, I've been doing this, I think, since before conversation design had a name, I think. Um, so I, I started around designing more digital bots in 2005-ish. Um, so yeah, we made a lot of different uh, digital bots, um, natural language bots, and then slowly went into the voice space as well. So now I lead a team that does both. And uh, yeah, really excited to be here. Nice to chat with everybody. Celine, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, and a long time coming for 24-7 uh, also. Thank you for being here. Great, thanks. Our, our third guest is Maddie Apple of Women of Women in Voice. Maddie, say hello. Hi, everyone. My name is Maddie. I'm the CEO of Women in Voice. We're an international 501c3 nonprofit. We're a community where we equip, celebrate, amplify, and connect women who work in this space, whether it's conversational AI, um, voice technology, anything from text to speech, speech to text, a lot of conversation designers in our community, um, but we're also bridging the gap with academia and linguistics, computational linguistics, um, all kinds of UX research, ML research, AI research. There's so many phenomenal women in this field, and so it's my joy to work uh, for this amazing organization. Um, 
really bringing everyone together, creating a home for women in this space and allies. We're very inclusive. So my background is in um, nonprofit engagement, membership, marketing, um, community, community resourcing. So um, I've pivoted to this field for the last 18 months, and it's been just not only really just intriguing day to day, but just the people are are so wonderful. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. No, that's great. Yeah, and and uh, you know, women in voice, y'all have done uh, a lot of good work over a, over over a sustained period of time, and uh, so it's appreciated. And look, glad to have all three of you on the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. So with that, let's get to the news. So we've got four really good stories here, and I'm going to uh, read the first one, uh, the headline out loud. Amazon brings its tap to Alexa accessibility feature to fire tablets for the first time. So this is from TechCrunch. This is um, yeah, this is a, this is an interesting uh, way to start this episode off. Um, Alex, I'm going to start with you, and then Celine and Maddie. I'll go to to both of y'all afterward. Um, your thoughts, you know, this is uh, this is interesting. You know, I think there's a lot of different things that could be taken away from this or uh, pontificated on. Uh, what stood out to you? Yeah, I I think the first thing that came to mind was the accessibility elements of it and inclusive design because I'm really passionate about that. My team is really passionate about that, and I was surprised that a feature like this is coming out now because I know with something like the Google Assistant, they have the squeeze, squeeze your smartphone feature to engage the Google Assistant. And that's been around for several years. So part of it was surprising to me, but a lot of it, um, it just makes me think about that whole untapped user base um, of users that we're not always designing for as a primary user. Yeah, no, complete complete agreement it's um it just kind of catches you by surprise you know and you you um not that people need it uh doesn't catch anybody by surprise just that you know amazon is kind of being proactive with it that at least catches me by surprise i'll um i never miss an opportunity to rib them on the show um <laughs> celine uh your thoughts as well what stood out to you yeah, I, I caught the same thing that Google, I'm like, yeah, I'm surprised because, you know, other applications in the same space like Google have had both, you know, you can't really operate voice in a silo, I think. And, and I don't know, Alex, if you know that too, just by designing both sides, you know, there's things that work well for voice and things that work well for um, digital, but often users, you have to let the user choose depending on their situation, where they're in. And I was just reading more about it and they give really good examples. So it's not like except just for accessibility reasons um, for people that have, you know, maybe can't speak um, or can't hear, but it's also somebody was saying she's in a wheelchair, she has a spinal cord injury. And when she lays down, she can't, she can't speak as loudly, her voice is quieter. So she feels more comfortable using this feature just because when she's lying down her voice, she said she feels weaker and her dexterity is limited. So even for that accessibility reason, right? So it doesn't really matter, I guess, the disabilities that they're, you know, thinking about. It could be just for people that are lying in bed. It could be for people that, you know, they don't want to wake up their kids. It could, you know, I don't want to use voice all the time, but sometimes it's really helpful if you don't have hands free, right? So you can't, you have to offer the choice. I'm glad they're doing this now, I guess, which is good, but it's the same time. Yeah, anytime you introduce voice, you have to think of the other channels that might be used um, in addition to that. So yeah. So it's a good thing, but it's, I think it is a little late. 
Cool. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And Maddie, I want to get your thoughts as well. What stood out to you uh, as you looked at the article? Yeah, I think that I echo Alex and what Celine, what stood out to you both. Um, I I think it's interesting that, you know, we hear so much about multimodal design and, you know, experiences across different types of devices. So, um, yeah, I was a little surprised too, Bradley. Um, but I think one of the things that that was ringing in my ear was people being able to create those custom shortcuts for their own um, their own actions that they wanted to take. I know it's, it's a skill, it's not an action, but um, yeah, making being able to make those custom tiles um, is something that I was like, oh, like I think that's going above and beyond just here's an Alexa button that you can tap, um, but you can also you know design your own shortcuts for those uh, for those power users who run into those issues with mobility and accessibility. So. Um, that was interesting to me. Um, and uh, yeah, it's some of these use cases that come out, you know, a lot of users don't don't ask for them, but may find interesting uses for them. So I think it'll be interesting to see how the public responds and if anyone publishes any hacks about this or not, I don't know. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I think that's great. Just great commentary all the way around. I mean, I think that um, it's interesting, right? We're getting to the point with voice where um, it works. So it's like for five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, it's not a given whether it's going to work. Like it's far from a given whether it's going to work. Now it works. So the doors open to all sorts of new possibilities. And it's exciting to see Amazon um, with their legion of personnel thinking about that. And, you know, we had Juliana Tarpe Haddad at Project Voice 2022, you're talking about this, and it really stood out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, too, to see that um, as much of a behemoth as Amazon is, you know, they are very unsuccessful at stamping out the passion of the people that work for them. And, you know, she gave a um, very impassioned talk about accessibility. And then I turned around and introduced her to an organization in Birmingham that does a bunch of accessibility stuff. And when she was over from Seattle, she met with them and you took an extra day to do that. Uh, away from her family um, to meet with them and and uh, do that research and so yeah and then you know and she's the one who's being quoted in all of these pieces including the one that's mentioned here so um, yeah it's exciting uh, it's exciting to see any closing thoughts on on this well I'll I'll say and I welcome your closing thoughts ladies too but I'll say like the hey you know I'll, I'll, speaking to Alexa is so iconic for their brand. So I think, to, I think I'm still shook by like, oh, you can use Alexa without talking to her. How that, wow. And it's, I think Amazon has such a strong brand and is, is aware of that and is aware of protecting that um, in every way that it can. So I think this to me, I'm just like, what does this mean that you can tap to Alexa now? So um, in a brand perspective, how about you? Yeah, I feel like it's, yeah, it is, you're right, it's, they're known for the voice side, but I feel like that is putting themselves in a box a little bit by doing that, so it's a good thing for them, so I think expand to that. It sounds like they've already done this, too, with the show as well, too, so maybe they're starting to realize, oh, well, you know, other devices can have that, too, um, but yeah, I feel like, yeah, it is, uh, they need, although, yes, it is their brand, I do feel like, yeah, they need to expand a bit and maybe do other things outside voice, too, so, or complementary to voice, I should say, yeah. Alex, any closing thoughts? 
Okay, you good? Yeah, no, this is cool. So uh, it's exciting to see, you know, this just came out sort of out of left field, but it's a good way to start. Story number two, and I'm going to read this headline uh, out loud. This is from Harvard Business Review. Alexa, should my company invest in voice technology? And, you know, we're, we're all used to seeing articles like this at this point um, that, that really try to capture a snapshot in time um, and, and summarize a bunch of what's come before and then, you know, provide some perspective on top of that. This one, I think, is kind of interesting for a few different reasons. And Celine, I'm going to start with you. Um, this, there's a lot of surface area to this piece. What stood out to you? Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on this one. So yeah, I'm I'm one of those people that actually doesn't own a smart speaker at home. <laughs> there's, and there's reason for that for various reasons. But I feel like yeah, I generally can do a lot of what I need to do with different ways, right? I always have my phone on me. I always have, you know, you know, if I have to call, I'll call, things like that. So I may be not one of the 50% that they said. I think they said what almost half people have smart, smart speakers. But I think it's because... Um, the, the skills are out right now, like they're saying, they kind of listed a whole bunch of skills in the article. And I'll give some examples of those, but some of those skills are very useful and some of them are very not, and they're very fatty. And I think that's the problem right now is a lot of people are just creating these skills to just be fads. It's like one of them they mentioned, for example, is like, you can start your laundry cycle, but why? I have to go change my laundry anyway. So what's, I can push a button. I don't understand that. So they kind of mentioned that some of these are just frivolous, but they mentioned another one. They said, um, when you buy like hair dye, it comes, anybody dyed their hair, right? So it comes with like this big sheet of like, hey, you have to read all these instructions. Your hands are always in gloves and always like messy with hair dye. So reading instructions, figuring out how long that's really, you know, anything cooking or anything you're doing with your hands, that's a really good skill. So it like walks you through their hair dye instructions so like that's a great that's a great not fatty skill that I think Clairol did it um but then they mentioned one more of things like um not that it's not helpful it's just you can do it another way so things like um United and American uh Express they created skills that you can easily do in other ways so either like online or just calling their phone number which um we support as well so the only thing I think that last use case is very interesting and very helpful is that um, what they've done is they've kind of created, they already have an IVR. Let's call, talk about United Free. So they already have an IVR so you can call and just check your upcoming flights, for example. So what they did is they completely made a separate skill, I think, to, to leverage that, it's to leverage that same intent, but it's a completely different build. So they built two different platforms. So that's a lot of cost for them. It's a lot of investment for them that they didn't have to do. So there are ways to leverage what they've already built in an IVR into a skill. So I, I probably would go with that way. Um, so they didn't lose all of that, you know, um, they can reuse all of the things that they've done. So I think this is a, it's a interesting, I think there is investment to be done in this for sure. Just careful investment, not fatty investment, but investment that actually is going to bring value to your brand, not just, you know, just, Hey, I have a skill to turn on your laundry machine, but you're going to have to still put in your laundry. We can't do that yet. You know, things like that. So yeah. So it's interesting. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that's great. Maddie, want to get your thoughts as well? What stood out to you? Well, it's interesting on Celine's last note, um, the, in, the, the relationship we're seeing between um, AI, gener AI skills and robotics. So I know we'll get to that next or we'll get to that later in this episode. But, you know, it looks like that you know, in the decades to come, that would be the, the missing piece to really leverage some of these voice skills and activations. So 
I also found it interesting. Um, the art article was a little pessimistic in some areas, a little, a little overly pessimistic, a little overly optimistic in other areas. Um, I think that some of the some of the skills that they referenced, um, there are other examples of you, you know you can make you can make a skill for a smart stove, but maybe it has a different benefit than than what um, than what you first think. So for instance, um, I've been talking to this female founder who launched Ohm Kitchen. And so this is a smart stove um, that it's a safety mechanism. And so the benefit, the value, the value is in preventing fires. The value is in keeping your family safe um, and keeping, you know, keeping yourself hands-free if you're in the other room, if you're in a different part of the house. Um, it's, it, 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 there's a few examples like that, that. Um, and I'm notorious for leaving the burner on my husband hates me for it so that would if every time I leave on a trip that would be helpful and instead of oh did I turn the burner off I can check yeah exactly it's a great example totally yeah. totally right it can't do your laundry for you but hey there's there's all these other use cases that um you know could add value in other ways so um I think that um I know Celine had a lot of a lot of great thoughts about how IVRs could really max out some of that investment that's been done in these skills that are falling, falling flat but um yeah, I think this article is going to come out, you know, every year with with, diff with different little side notes, um, but we're seeing it on the ground level and over time, you know, all the value that voice has added to each different industry, whether it's uh, um, finance, investment, banking, um, healthcare. Oh my gosh! Every time I have to, every time I have to call Kaiser, I'm just like, okay, somebody worked very hard on this IVR. <laughs> um, so yeah, I. I'd love to hear what Alex has to say as well. Perfect. Yeah. Alex, your thoughts. I had many thoughts on this one. So I'll try to simplify those. Um, I think the first thing that stood out to me is I was worried that people would see Harvard and see voice assistants decrease companies value in like bold headings and just grab that and use it, you know, to justify some big business decision. So I think at first I saw a few things that were a little alarming to me just because of like, you know, we all go through the same obstacles when we're advocating for innovation and these products in the future. And I was worried that some of it could be taken out of context because I think the article was purely talking about voice assistance with a single modality, it sounded like, instead of something like an Echo Show, for example, that would be a voice assistant with additional modalities. And if they looked at those types of devices in these scenarios, I think it would change a lot of the uh, data that they're kind of reporting out on. Um, if you think about, especially in financial institutions, it's really high risk sending money or completing a transaction just by voice. The client doesn't have any way to see what's going on on a graphical user interface. They don't have a way to have that reassurance or confirm, and then it's their money and livelihood. So if there's an error, it's a lot worse than messing up pizza toppings. So I think that's kind of the first thing that stood out to me is, hey, yeah, this totally makes sense in some scenarios for single modality devices. But I think kind of what we're trying to do um, at Truist and a lot of other big banks are trying to do is figure out how to leverage all these additional modalities creatively and in a way that really adds value to the client so they aren't they aren't uncomfortable using something like this because they're able to kind of be in more control of the situation. 
Yeah, no, that's really good. Uh, all, you know, great comments all the way around. I um, uh, I do agree a hundred percent that it's it's um, it's difficult to tie stuff with voice assistance back to company value. You know, like I thought that that was a pretty tenuous, pretty difficult thing to try to do. You know, if you if you line up a hundred people working with working within the conversational AI, you know, the voice AI continuum, which is what I'm now starting to call it. Um, you're going to get a hundred different opinions on the enterprise value of whatever functionality, you know, whatever chat or voice functionality you're talking about. So there, if it's, if a hundred practitioners in the space are going to disagree, there's no way the market knows how to price that. And we've already seen that too, you know, with things like, you know, I'll just use SoundHound as an example with their SPAC. It's like, you know, is SoundHound a $2 billion company? Well, the market at one point said they were. Um, but again, you go to 100 voice conversation with AI people, you're going to get some different opinions about that. Some may be more, some may be less. So, you know, that I thought was a real tough part of the article um, is, is tying it back in that way. But uh are you talking about where it said it fell by like 1.2% when they launched these things and that their stock fell? Yeah, it's at different parts, but like in, oh. in, in the headline uh, toward the bottom, when voice assistants are used for transactional features, they decrease company value. Yeah, which is what you're talking about, actually. With yeah, the I found that weird, too. And I wouldn't think they would. I mean, that's a big chunk to decrease. So I'm wondering, yeah, what the data is behind that, because I find that surprising, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's no way that that's possibly true you know i mean a, a transactional value is where a lot of voice assistants get 100 percent of their value you know whether it's uh give me you know uh give me that roll of paper towels for the thousandth time um you mean that has no value no it has a tremendous amount of value or you know what's my uh, bank statement say or, or whatever else i might be asking where it's just a purely transactional interaction um but you know obviously has a lot of enterprise value so it's an interesting piece these ones always are uh, a lot of great comments any any closing thoughts one other thing i was going to add is when it mentioned the united airlines example and how that also didn't seem to really add much value deploying that system i think that just brings up another point where you see it so many brands them creating these chatbots, virtual assistants, whatever it is, and then just kind of developing a roadmap, throwing features over there, and they're just porting over exactly what exists elsewhere. And that's a key thing for us, especially as designers and as we create these experiences, thinking about how we can really push for innovation there and that the value add for clients and for users is really in like leveraging the data we already have, simplifying inputs, um, leveraging defaults wherever we can, and then we can, because I, I imagine the United Airlines one probably asked you to tell your confirmation number or something, and most people don't have that handy. I don't know if that's how it actually goes, but I know that's how I typically get stuck on other flows elsewhere. So I think that was just an example of kind of the connecting the data piece on the back end. And that's a huge feat for businesses, but prioritizing that so that we can actually make these experiences more optimal. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, and, and the point you mentioned too about the findability aspect of it, because I was, and just dealing with a lot of these companies, I find that they train their 
users to go to the phone, right? Their phone numbers everywhere on everything. So that's where they might be going just because they're used to it, but they don't know that they threw this, this feature up, right? Because they haven't advertised it. It's not on any of their contact channels because everything's so disjointed. So yeah, I do feel that too, that they don't really think through the whole end-to-end -end customer journey of like how people, what are these entry points? How are they getting to these things to be used? And then when they are used, yeah, what is actually the use case of them being used too? So yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying too. Yeah. And this is where multidisciplinaries like Women in Voice comes in, because if you're only focused on one area of this kind of product, it's going to flop, it's going to fail. So we really need that collaboration from a diverse range of perspectives and builders and designers to be able to innovate well and make an impact. Well said. Yeah, we'll leave that right there and, and move on to story number three. This is from voicebot.ai. New, new Buzz Lightyear toy includes conversational AI and voice recognition. And I want to glance and make sure, yeah, I'm not getting out of order. Good. That's the third one. So um, this is uh, <laughs> this is an interesting story. I definitely wanted to include this. Um, you know, I, I think the voice bot gets a shout out here. Um, we frequently use their articles. I think there's been like two episodes in the previous six seasons where we didn't have a voice bot article mentioned. Um, it's exactly for articles like this that you're not going to find other places. So shout out to them. Maddie, I'm going to start with you. Uh, and then Alex and Selena, I'll go to you. Um, super interesting piece. What stood out? Goodness gracious, there's going to be an $800 talking robot on the market this Christmas. <laughs> That's, what I That's the first thing that stood out to me too, is the cost, I know. <laughs> and here we are. I mean, people have been predicting the future. You know, there would be robots, there'd be toys and and, and Buzz Lightyear's bringing it. So um, I, <laughs> I'm fascinated by this. Um, I, I saw a lot of caveats, a lot of like, well, there's going to be limited options. It's conversational, but with very limited. And so I couldn't help but think of, you know, Buzz Lightyear, I came of age when Toy Story was coming out. Um, so it was like, what were the other, what were the other toys back then? And um, and what's going to be the first play for young women and young girls? What What's for that first conversational AI robot for girls going to look like? Um, I can't help but ask. I know a lot of a lot of women young love Buzz Lightyear, not just for boys, but um, but yeah, I um, those are some of my thoughts as well as um, this product is designed to li listen to children's voices and respond to children. So I do have some questions about that data and that training um, on that on that AI and what are the ethics of, um, you know, were they using synthetic children's voices or were they working, you know, did they contract some, some child actors? Um, I have questions, but ultimately just really curious to see how this plays out in, in the market. Oh, I think we know how it's going to play out in the market, but yeah, no, I think, uh, no, that's good, good, uh, good to hear your thoughts on that. Alex, uh, you as well, what stood out? Yeah, I, I agree with what Maddie said. I'm, I definitely was intrigued by it. And I know the price point, I'm like, how many people can afford to give that to their kids as like a toy? Um, but I think I, I don't know if my brain is just naturally trained to always find a pro and con of every article. But I also started kind of going down this route of, okay, how does that potentially impact developmental psychology? And when kids are in, you know, that phase where they're just learning everything really rapidly, 
it just makes me curious how it's going to influence their behaviors later. If they're learning and exposed to something like that at X age, I don't think it said anything about specific age, but that's kind of where my mind went was, okay, we've heard that Gen Z is the largest living population in the U.S., and we already know how them growing up being digitally native and on all these devices has influenced their behaviors and their interests and environments. So I just started thinking about the future and how would these kids be different, just like, you know, Gen Z has shown that. Um, and then I, I also just, I'm a little more traditional, so I'm like, I'd prefer a Cabbage Patch kid. Um, but I mean, they're also a lot cheaper. But at the same time, you know, that's hard to say because I'm obviously really passionate about this stuff and it kind of um, I guess there would just have to be proper controls in place. And you'd have to think about the fact that there are parents who probably want different controls in place and the two sides of the coin. So. No, yeah, complete agreement. And uh, um, I think a lot of great points there as well. Celine, uh, I'll go to you. Uh, what stood out? Interesting piece. Yeah. So definitely the cost, like everyone's saying, that's crazy like for a toy. <laughs> it's just, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But um, I think, it, but like, like uh, Alex was saying, the, if the positive of it is that if we had to pick any toy to do this to, it would be a Buzz Lightyear. I think that's pretty appropriate that I guess that that came out that way. So it's kind of cool. Um, I'd like to play with it. I just want to see it because yeah, they're saying AI is limited. So I'm like, oh, I wonder how much, you know, are people really trying to stump it or is for kids is, you know, is it fine? So that, that was my question too. Um, but yeah. And then I was thinking like, you know, this is, it's almost like this is still making news that these toys are coming out with AI and you can talk to it. I think you can like program its movements and things like that. I'm like, this can't be new. And I think I heard somewhere the first toy that did this um, was built in like 1922. It was like Radio Radio Rex, I think. And you could, yeah, 1922. So that this isn't necessarily an, a new concept. I think they're just making it, you know, again, back with the fad word, oh, it's, you know, AI and conversational AI is fad and, you know, all these like, you know, you can get the robot dog, the Sony robot dog, things like that. It's just very fatty. But at the same time, I think it'd be fun to play with, but I don't, I would want not to pay $800 for it. <laughs> That's the only thing. Well, yeah. Well, and I'm curious, what's the shelf life? I mean, you know, how, how long does Buzz yeah, last? You know, so rough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they like my kid already, I got her a Kindle, uh, a Kindle fire. And she, and during nap time was spitting into the speaker and, and I had to buy a new one because it was waterlogged. So it's like, yeah, these, I don't know if I, <laughs> maybe they'll take a Tesla 60 bucks. Right. So this is 800. I was going to, I was going to say, maybe they'll take a Tesla approach where they'll just like, you know, you, you own this, we will ship you replacement parts, maybe mm -hmm. a small fee. Um, it's Disney. Uh, probably not. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Just <laughs> buy a new one. New Disney. one's coming out much more <laughs> yeah, likely. Yeah. But I thought it'd be kind of cool though. Like we, you know, uh, we could all probably on this call design a much cheaper one for our kids, you know, and just, you know, have them play with a voice that, you know, we, that's our, our privilege, I guess. But yeah, it's, uh, it was interesting. It'd be fun, but yeah, the price point has got me. But um, I think like you said, Alex, too, that the, uh, giving all these kids, a lot of these electronic toys too, does have an impact because yeah, as my kids, I actually don't, being in the tech space, I don't give them any electronic toys at all. Like they're all have like, you know, imagined toys and wood toys, but it's now, yeah, I feel like that this is a, it's getting into like, how is it going to shape them? Do having these toys that are starting to talk with them and having conversations with them, how is that going to change their ability to communicate and have real communication with other humans? You know, will it yeah take that away? Will it enhance it? I don't know. Yeah. It's a really good question that Alex raised too. 
the iPad generation becomes the voice generation. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And even mentioned, I don't remember if it was at the end of the article or if it was something like highlighted at the end, but it was something about a platform that reads bedtime stories for kids. That also stood out to me because I'm like, okay, so we're like trained to design for creating moments and like marrying the technology to humans and bringing touch. Like we want to create these moments and enhance them for people. And what would that do if it replaces the human in that scenario completely? And, you know, kids are getting bedtime stories read by a bot. That's so true. And I'm yeah. sure that's a very controversial thing too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, um, <laughs> I just have to laugh, you, you know, so uh, my wife and I have a 10 year old son and uh, there's no way I would give him this for 10% of the cost, <laughs> um, you know, much less to the actual cost. So there's that. Um, and that's what me, you know, he, he, um, he has a healthy fear of not taking care of his things and even, uh, even under that scenario, I still wouldn't do it. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess there's your data point. Um, you know, I, um, it, it, back when Alexa first came out, you know, 16, 17, and the, the devices flying off the shelf, it was a criticism that was raised against uh, the ecosystem because we discussed it on this show, I remember it, um, at least once, if not twice, um, explicitly, then it implicitly came up all the time where, um, you know, there's, uh, equity problems, uh, with the fact that, um, you know, Amazon's customer base skews educated and skews affluent. So guess what? Who has the devices? People who are educated and affluent. So the rich get richer and all that sort of thing going on. And it's hard not to look at this sort of story and see the exact same thing. It's, I'm not convinced there is any value to this device, but let's just say for a moment that there was, uh, it's only, you know, very rich people with a uh, thousand bucks to blow, you know, 700 or whatever, 650 plus tax that uh, would have it. So, you know, there's, there's, um, do we really want like the, rich kids growing up with a device that maybe expands your mental horizons and nobody else having it. I think that's an interesting thing to ponder. Um, and then finally, um, why, you know, if you, the piece kind of implies that there's not a lot of meat on the bones to what this thing says. So, and it talks about at one point in the piece, how there will be updates, you know, like you know, content updates, you know, maybe I've read into it too much, but it seemed like there'd be content updates, but it seemed like it doesn't, it doesn't like say that much. So how much does a device have to say before we call it conversational AI? You know what I mean? It's like, it seemed like there ought to be a high bar for that phrase being slapped on a box uh, for a children's toy. I'm not sure if this hits it or not. Like it seems to be, it needs to be a little bit more dynamic than just like a couple phrases, but it speaks to a larger problem, which I'm sure y'all encounter all the time, just like I do, where I, I, I'm constantly trying to reinvent how to describe what the hell is it, it is I do. 
And, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, it, it, you know it, 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 I can talk about voice, but then you got people who are working in the contact center who think that the stuff that we're doing doesn't apply to them. Um, I could use conversational AI and then people, you know, who are doing voice implementations at quick service restaurants think that it's just chat and it doesn't necessarily apply to them. So, and then if I say conversational AI, it's not a given, uh, you, you know, that there's, there's not a clear uh, understanding of like, if you drew a Venn diagram of what's conversational AI, voice AI, voice AI, technology, voice technology. Uh, you know, um, how, you know how, uh, how the dots come, you know, how the, the circles come together. So uh, this product speaks to that too, because, um, you know, it seems like it's just basically a talking toy, but we're talking conversational AI. So anyway, I got problems with this thing, but it, it, it is funny. Uh, but uh, that's, that's more than I probably should have gone on on the subject. Any closing thoughts? No, I just, I echo your conversational AI, like, what is it definition? It's very, you know, a buzzword these days, but it's, it's so true. What does that really mean in this context? But then as you were talking, I thought of another um, really, when you were saying they really are going to do content updates or even optimizing this thing, right? There's a privacy concern too, as well. That, I mean, do they listen to or collect the utterances to enhance it? If they don't, it's never going to get better. And it, you know, that if they do, that's a privacy concern. So yeah, I don't, that's, that's on, you know, because Amazon and things like that, they disclose it. They, they say, I'm going to collect your utterances to, for optimization, but this one is a, as a toy, do they want that? You know, I don't want my voice, you know, what if we're, you know, in the middle of a conversation behind and it's hearing us, you know, there's a whole other, um, but the, you know, the kids playing with it. Yeah. There's implications there too, but yeah, a whole bunch of, I agree with you, a whole bunch of other flags for this, for me too. Any other thoughts on this before we move on? I, your your side notes about about all of these different names for this industry and the different subcategories, the different sub um, subfields of expertise, and how if they all interact, that's something that we struggle with too. You know, we have a lot of folks who are into conversation design, and they're they're on the UX side of it, and they may not think that they work in voice. I I spoke with um, uh, a um, a Googler who studied NLP, she got a master's, she got a PhD. Um, I was, you know, speaking with her, she's like, oh, I don't work in voice. And I was like, but you have expertise that exactly lines up with what our community needs to learn from you, needs to learn about. So it's, it's, it's really interesting, the language that exists, the language that people, that resonates with people and that people identify with, and then um, the tenuous kind of marketing language that is being co-opted and just kind of like, yeah, this is more impressive because it's conversational. It's like, well, you know, it has a wake word or it, 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 it can hear you and, and it will activate because it's listening. But yeah, is that, does that, is that conversational? I, I love that question, Bradley. So. Yeah. And I think also, I don't know if y'all have experienced this, but um, my exposure and encounters with conversation design as a title lately, and even when I was kind of developing these new roles for our org, uh, was mostly interpreted as being like just the conversations and just content. So I think it was a little misleading to partners. Um, and we intentionally called it like buoy designer or, you know, NLU platforms, that kind of thing, just to kind of make it more broad and kind of look to the future, evolve that. Cause I think we're going to have to keep, like you said, um, all of you said, we're going to have to keep evolving what we call this niche role. So in, um, reaching out to different companies to be part of season seven of This Week in Voice, um, I reached out to a company that will remain nameless 
And, um, you know, I always inter- end up interacting with, with marketing people, which is, is probably the correct touch point. And this, this marketing person for this uh, conversational AI company uh, went on at length uh, in, a, in a very hostile fashion about how I don't, why, why am I wasting her time trying to get an executive on the show when this is clearly not uh, their domain? And I didn't respond, nor would I ever respond to something like that. I just sort of let sleeping dogs lie. But it's like, uh, no, I think I understand your business. And, you know, I think it would, you know, but they're a conversational AI healthcare company. And, um, you know, and so you get this from people who are, you know, working in the space. It's like they even they don't understand, um, you know, and they're they're dangerous with how they don't understand it because they think that they do. So it's just it's interesting to see uh, all of that. And it sort of shows up here. And the other part of this, too, which y'all touched on is, um, you know, this, this is not the end for. Uh, hearing about normalizing surveillance. That's a phrase that I've, I've heard a bunch of times uh, for children. Um, and I think it's, um, I don't have a problem with the phrase. Uh, I think it, anything with children, um, you know, we better uh, measure twice and cut once. But, um, you know, it, it uh, um, yeah, it kind of is. You know, I don't think it's surveillance. You know, the, the kids aren't saying anything that anyone's going to be caring about but it is normalizing technology in our lives. And I think there's a discussion about that, um, that maybe it is some value to a toy like this. Um, I remember when Amazon, it was a couple of years ago, rolled out the kitchen toy where it has Alexa built into the kitchen. Um, and it was sold at different places and we had that conversation then. But uh, anyway, yeah, a lot of, lot of meat on the bones there. Appreciate the great commentary. Uh, we will move on to story number four, and it's unusual for us to have a story that um, is not uh, directly related to, to conversational AI. This is a little bit broader, but uh, I feel like there's some important stuff here. Uh, I'm going to read. It's from The Verge. Getty Images bans AI-generated content over fears of legal challenges. So um, we got about 10 minutes left in the show. Alex, I'm going to start with you. Celine, go to you. Maddie, close with you. Um, hit me with, uh, you know, there, this is interesting. It definitely applies to what we're doing. Hit me with what you thought. Yeah, um, you picked some great articles. I, I definitely didn't. I couldn't even convince myself of how I felt on most of them because I would go so back and forth. Um, I thought this was really interesting. I don't know much about those platforms, but I do know that you can, it, it can basically come up with a, drawing or whatever it's putting out there in like under 60 seconds. So when you compare that to like an artist who might spend days, months, however long into that same image that it's pulling from, that's where I'm like, oh, this is kind of like, where's the line type of situation. Um, I think it could, I could see it being like a separate industry or field as long as there are the right controls in place. Like maybe it's a, a group of artists who opt in to being leveraged in this way, potentially. And it's like maybe a way to promote their work instead of it just kind of pulling from random things and you don't really know what where it's grabbing that source file from. And I don't think it's disclosing or like attributing it to anyone either when it actually forms it. So given that the guy was able to go win a competition against other people who like painted or did whatever to get their art, I thought that was just a little, like reminds me of plagiarism. It just seemed a little awkward. Um, 
but yeah, those are my initial thoughts. Excellent. Yeah. Celine, uh, what stood out to you? Yeah, kind of the same. Yeah, I actually I got access to Dolly like a couple months ago. So I've been playing with it. And it is it is scary how I guess it's a it's a blend between being very original, but obviously it has to come from somewhere, right? Like it the the templates themselves, you can you can tweak them a bit, but the I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, when you come back, it gives you four different options, for example. And those four different options tend to be pretty similar. Sometimes they're very different, but the the, they're similar because I think they're based on one thing, right? So something, it is coming from somebody. So yeah, I, I question how original these really are because they, you can, you know, you can, you can take one image and make it look completely different and it can become sort of original, but yeah, it is a question. Maybe it's not blatant plagiarism, but there is, it is taking from something. But again, I mean, so every AI is also like, so all of those things that came up before where, you know, they have these scripts, right? So the scripts are writing, you know, I have a, a script that's writing a, whatever, a sitcom, you know, all that kind of stuff. All that's coming also from people that have written things before in the past. So why was that not an issue? So why, I, that's, that's my question, I guess is, yeah, all these new things are so awesome. And they're so, I, I'm just amazed with the what dolly can create but it's everything new you have to make boundaries limitations you have to start asking ethical questions all those things and i think we tend to as a society get um captivated by these new things you know like oh what's this you know just like the buzz lightyear thing same thing or you know oh it's it's a talking toy but then people don't think privacy in this case people don't think ethics of where these things are coming from they're just dazzled by the newness and the coolness of it but yeah, I mean, I even checked out on Dolly's site, um, just as I'm making these, you know, what their content policy is, and even it's vague there too. So some some places say uh, on their site, you can use it for like profit, and some people in some places, it doesn't say that you can't. So even they, I think, are questioning how this is to be used. And recently, I just saw also... Um, there's a whole aspect of uploading people's faces to it as well. They recently banned that because of deep fakes and things like that. And then they just allowed it now. So now you can add faces as well because they have, they say their filters are good enough to remove anything, you know, um, uh, harmful that might come out of that. But even so, are their filters good? You know, they seem confident in that, but that's the, yeah, you're just, you're getting into a whole bunch of uh, things we've never thought about before as humans and it's scary, cool, you know, but also scary. So yeah, it's a very interesting topic for sure. Perfect. And Maddie, we'll give you the last word. Uh, what do you think? I think that I couldn't agree more with um, Alex and Celine. I think that with Getty Images and Shutterstock now banning these machine generated images, I'm wondering, um, if, if there's going to be a market, if there's going to be a new competitor emerging saying, you know what, you can bring your AI generated art here, whether, you know, whether it's a script or a poem or um, a spoken word or, um, or art. So um, yeah, it's, it's hard, it's hard to say. Uh, one of the, one of the auxiliary articles on there um, reference that there was um, there. Now these websites also have to consider bans or monetary uh monetary paybacks if people mint NFTs based off of these AI generated things. So there we go into another emerging industry that who knows who knows what the long-term value of that's going to be. Um, so I have, I have lots of questions as well. Um, it's, a, it's, it's hard, this one's hard because you want to celebrate this awesome new technology and you know the creativity behind it, but um, is, is it worth the cost to, to real artists that have already been undervalued when, while they're alive during their lifetimes? So. 
yeah, no, it opens Pandora's box, doesn't it? You know, it's interesting just to think about how with AI, any automation, technological improvement, um, whatever words you want to use, um, if it's rote tasks that are getting um, deleted, you know, then people sort of have the thought that, um, yeah, you had it coming, you know, that's, that's, that's the, the, the march, the march of life. Um, but when it comes to art, it's totally different and it really challenges us, um, or anything that is a fusion of art and science, you know, art and other mechanics, art in any, uh, any percentage part of something, you know, AI being able to, uh, replace, or even in some cases, perhaps surpass what humans can do. Um, you know, I don't think we're ready for that yet as evidenced uh, by some of the stuff in this article. So look, this is great comments all the way around. It's just uh, fantastic to start the season off uh, with such a talented group of folks, Alex, Celine, Maddie, thank you all for being on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me. Great chatting with everybody. Great talking to you guys. Likewise. Thanks for having us. For season seven, episode two of This Week in Voice, thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for listening. If you're on your podcast provider of choice, until next time.